thank you for this a beautiful day, this beautiful opportunity for you to give us exactly what we need from the counsel of your word this morning. We are so very thankful for what you've done, who you are, what you've done, what you've accomplished uh, to yourself and for us. It's a great privilege that we have for you to just give us this word uh, this morning. And it's a very high and holy uh, privilege. So thank you this morning for this. We thank you and praise you. And I just pray that you would just uh, prepare my heart, prepare all of our hearts, our minds, our emotions, uh, our hearing, so that we could receive this. Uh, your glory so that we could know you and be blessed and then share you with others. So thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, this morning, it seems that God would would have us as he leads us, and I believe it's how he's leading me to to go into his counsel about the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. And just to go into those and, and to glean from those the truth that we can have and that he has made ours. The reason that I say that is, yes, all of this was spoken, was spoken to Israel, but it was all given for our benefit. That's Romans 15 and, and verse 4. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 and 11. And that brings in the reality that we are to glean from all of these particular things that God has given us. The reason that we can say that with the confidence and, and, and authority of the Word of God is that's what God gave the Apostle Paul to speak to those that were at, in, in uh, Athens, to the church of Ephesus, I should say. And he also spoke that to them. But he said in Acts 20 and verse 27 that he, has, he did not shun or keep back from declaring unto us all the counsel of God. There's a tremendous amount of counsel that you and I can glean from the whole word of God, because in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all scripture, the whole Bible, one whole organic unit, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It is God has breathed out this entire word for us to understand. So we can glean from these things. Truth that's ours in Christ already, and then the truth that we can function in as we, the church, his, his church, in Matthew 16 and verse 18, his body, in Ephesians 5 and verse 30. We are his body in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, but we're made up of individuals in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. So we can all have the opportunity this morning as we all come before our head, Christ. Christ is the head the one head of the one body of Christ. 
in Colossians 1.18, and we want to hold him uh, in our hearts. In Colossians 2 and verse 19, we want, to, we want to hold him up in terms of receiving his glory. And so we can glean from these two particular books truth that's ours already in Christ, but we can learn about the things that they went through and that God led them through. So when we talk, when we get into the book of Ezra, we're going to see this in those chapters in Ezra. Ezra has to do with the sanctuary or the place where God would make himself known. Very important. All scripture, every single scripture from Genesis to Revelations, from John, the first chapter, even before uh, Genesis, the whole principle, the whole truth of, of those scriptures is that God would make himself to be known make himself to be known. So that is what Ezra, that is the type of the work that God was doing in him, which obviously was foreshadowing Christ. So that's what he was intent on doing. God had him to do that. Again, Ezra has to do with establishing, once again, after there are 70 years of captivity in Babylon, you see, because even way before that, years and years before that, the multitude of Israel were carried away into the Assyrian captivity. And we can see that clearly in the scriptures. But then God brought back a remnant out of all that captivity. In, in, in Babylon, he brought back a remnant, less than 50,000, some even think it was 43,000, that were in that captivity that God led them back to Jerusalem. And God raised up Ezra to establish that place of worship, the tabernacle, the very presence of God, to make himself known and to bring in all the, the holy truths that are brought out in the scriptures. Nehemiah, after that, came after him, and Nehemiah came, obviously, with, with him at di different periods, but in the same general time in the vicinity, he was brought back to build the wall around the place of God's holy sanctuary, which would speak of protection. So we have a lot of beautiful truth here to glean from as we see that Ezra and Nehemiah, they were both a type of the work that Christ himself would come and accomplish. In Galatians 4, 4, at the fullness of time, he would be made of a woman and he would be made under the law to redeem us, to redeem multitudes that were under the law. So there's a lot of Christian church truth that we can 
glean from here and understand and learn from, from the things that they had gone through. And there's so much that we can learn in the most beautiful way. Now, the whole Bible here, this is bringing out the Bible when it deals with the earth. And remember, as God has so beautifully and graciously taught us all that we are a heavenly people. We are a heavenly people. The book of, of, of Ephesians, that epistle, brings out the beauty of our place in Christ, our position, and then we're to learn it experientially. And we learn these, we glean from these things because of this, uh, because of that finished work truth. So as we have said and we have been taught over the years that their faith in the old covenant, under the old covenant, their faith looked forward to the cross. Their dependence looked forward to the cross, all the types, all of it, looked forward to the cross. Ours, we look back to the cross as completely finished. Jesus said in John 19.30 that he had finished the work, and he said it with a, a strength and a boldness and a, an authority, and not as a weakling. No. With a triumphant declaration of the manifestation of God being glorified on that cross because on that cross was our precious Savior. So we can glean from these things. So again, the Bible speaks when it deals with the earth is always speaking of prophecy. Prophecy has to do with the earth. Our heavenly truth, that's why we are in the heavens positionally with Christ. That's what it deals with. And this is what this, this is dealing with here in the book of Ezra. So remember the prophets, when they prophesied about prophecy, we have to, and we can understand it this way. When he, when all those men, those prophets in the old covenant prophesied God, they prophesied him and all his glory ruling the earth, ruling the earth. That's what they pictured. Now, of course, that's not going to happen until millennial reign, when Christ comes back and when we come back with him. And we see this at, after he deals with the beast and the false prophet in Revelations, the 19th chapter. We come back with him in Revelations 19, 11 to 16. Then after he deals with, with the beast and the false prophet, putting them in their proper place. You see, that's what the glory of God always does. It puts everyone in their proper place. Thank God he has placed us where he is glorified in his son as a result of what Christ has done. But as we look at this, that's what the prophets always saw. So they, they, they saw it from the finished work, eternal perspective of God. <laughs> you see, all prophecy, okay, what is, what is going on even now, even now always points to the future. And of course, our future is settled. Our future in Christ is completely settled. Oh, if we only knew this. How settled. Christ has settled 
propitiation for his father, then becoming our substitute, thereby reconciling us to him. Everything about us in Christ right now is his heavenly people. We are not an earthly people. We're heavenly people. And as a result of that, everything about us is settled already. But now we look back and now we can grow in the grace and truth that Christ is experientially and learn from these things, as we said. And part of our learning has to do with all these scriptures because why else would God have given us? And he did. Yes, he spoke it to the Jews through Ezra and Nehemiah. But we don't glean that. We don't glean from that. We absolutely do. That's the full counsel of God in Acts 20 and verse 27. We learn from that, you see. So they came back. They came back from that 70 years of captivity in Babylon. They came back, just a few, and there was a remnant that they could set up a temporary kingdom. Very temporary. Very temporary. And then, of course, we can see the truth of these things and how we can honestly glean from them. So listen, there was a remnant that came back to a sanctuary, to a place of God's presence where he would make himself known to that, those few remnants, those between 43,000 and 50,000 out, out of millions of Jews, they came back under the leadership of Ezra, you see. And God had to do so many things in Ezra. So many, many, many things. There's many that believe, without getting into the details of it this morning, that he may have wrote, may have written, and I don't know, he may have gleaned from it. Some believe that, that David or Ezra wrote Psalm 119, those 176 verses. Whatever the truth of it is, is all of it was given for us. So God raised up Ezra as a type of Christ to show what Christ would fully do in the future. But he brought back a remnant. God always has a remnant. He always does. The remnant that is right now is you and I. The remnant that is in, has, from God is you and I in him. His church that's on the earth, but not of it, in John 17 and verse 16, because Jesus himself in 17 and verse 14 of John was never of this world system, never, never of it. And that's what he was constantly teaching at, through Ezra and through Nehemiah. And I, you see the beauty of the full accomplishment of what is ours already in Christ. Christ is the very sanctuary of God. We are positioned in him through salvation. We're positioned in him. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We are right now. We were once captive, but he's brought back a remnant to establish a place where God can reveal himself to us. And of course, we know this is through his son, and it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he, what he wants to do is build up walls of truth 
around us to protect us and keep us safe and protected in a place where he can continually make himself known to us to keep out. You know, those walls that Nehemiah was, were, were building were being built to, to keep out the enemies. And the whole time even Nehemiah was building those walls is a picture of you and I in Christ even now experiencing everything that Christ has done. They had a trowel, a tool to work in one hand, and they had a sword in the other. And they were building the walls, and we'll see that when we get into Nehemiah. But basically, this morning, we just want, God wants to lay the foundation of these truths in these scriptures so that we don't lose God's full counsel. We don't, and he does not want us to lose anything. See, because this was all given to us. Every word of God is pure in Proverbs 30 and verse 5. And when we understand it, the way that he would have us to understand it, then, then, to the pure, all things are pure in Titus 1.15. And it keeps us from having a defiled conscience experientially because of a lack of a not understanding all scripture, how it was God-breathed and given to all of us to understand. So. Nehemiah the whole time, and we'll see this in the future, the whole time he was building the wall, he was constantly harassed by the enemy. Constantly. Just like you and I. Just like you and I in this spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 17, that you and I are involved in. We're involved in this. There's a conflict. But we have it from a finished work perspective. We have that already. But here, this was, this was Ezra. And he's brought back a remnant. He brought back a remnant, finally. After 70 years. 70 years of captivity. We'll get into the details of these. Because God is very, very detailed. And the expression, the manifestation, and the revelation of who his son is and what he's accomplished. And by that, God makes himself known to us. And he wants to make himself known to us in every single detail through every single scripture that we read. And it's for our benefit. Every single thing. Every single thing. Everything about it. Now, why then, why then, and we'll, we'll go back to Ezra, why then is there, there, there's just a remnant? What is that picturing? The remnant here in Ezra. Has there been, has there been the kingdom of God on earth since David and Solomon? Has it? Has it been the fullness? And it hasn't yet. Of course, again, that will happen when you and I understand Revelations chapter 19 and Revelations chapter 20. We will understand that in its fullness. But there was only a partial remnant that came. What does this point to? This is pointing towards all those synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in part, John. Because there are, 
out of all the Jewish people there in Jesus' time, there was only a remnant. There was a small remnant. That's why Jesus would say, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And he was saying, many there be that go in that way. But narrow is the way. It's very narrow is the way. The gate is very narrow that leads to life. And of course, Christ himself, it, he was that life then, of course, and he is our life now. But that was, had to do with kingdom teaching. So Jesus came, made of a woman in Luke 1 and verse 35. The word was made uh, uh, in a human, and he tabernacled himself in a human body. That's John 1 and verse 14. And we beheld his glory. They said the glory is of the only begotten, filled up with all that grace and truth is, filled up with all of who God is. He came. But there was only a remnant still then. There was a remnant. There was, there's, there was a space of time. And this brings out the reality of John, really, John chapter 1 and verse 10. Jesus came into the world, the mass of humanity, and the mass of humanity did not know him. Truthfully, the mass of the humanity, even when they had the opportunity, to know him, didn't want him. <laughs> That's John 1.10. Then it says in John 1.11, he came unto his own, the nation of Israel, Israel, and his own rejected him. And then some have called this a parenthesis. The parenthesis is John 1 and verse 12. But, there's the remnant, as many as would receive them, him. To them he gave the power to become what? The sons of God, even to them that would believe on his name, the person of Christ, his name, and what he has accomplished. That is where we are right now. But even in the types here, this is what it was revealing. Even in the synoptics, that's why Matthew, Mark, and Luke are kingdom teaching. He was teaching the kingdom of what would come to the future to the Jewish disciples who were that remnant at that time, very small remnant. And this is what Jesus Christ was fulfilling here in even in the book of Ezra and how he would teach about the sanctuary and about God and making himself known. Or what, what way do we know God without our precious Savior, Jesus Christ? who when he finished the work, gave us also the gift of the Holy Spirit, another comforter in John 14, 16, and 17. You see, the whole time that Jesus walked, the face of the earth, we know by Colossians 2, 9, that he was filled up with all of who God is. And that's why when the, when the Pharisees, those that were not the remnant, those that kept rejecting him, when they demanded to, to know when and where the kingdom of God was in Luke 17, 20 and 21, he said the kingdom of God doesn't come with a show. It doesn't come with observation and a show. But he said the kingdom of God, and this is what he was saying in the original, the kingdom of God is within me and it's among you right now. 
And there was a king there. There was a king there. But was there a kingdom? There was truth about his person. But was there power to establish that kingdom on earth? That power that you and I already have as the church. We're kept by it in 1 Peter 1.5. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. And it's one thing for believers, Christians in Christ, to know about salvation. And then to have all this truth, the whole counsel of God, the whole Bible, and not understand it. And then once we did understand it, how it would be such power, such power. You see, the power that's ours in Christ right now, only if we only knew that. If only we received it and understood it. The power that is ours already. That power that Christ had. He had that power in John 10, verse 18. He had power to lay his life down. It was power. Then he had power to lift it up again. But you see, before he would come, and he's, he is, yes, he is our king already. He rules and reigns over us. But we are his bride in Revelations 19, 7 and 9. We are his body in Ephesians 5 and verse 30. We are his church right now in Matthew 16 and verse 18. You see, we have it. But see, we're a heavenly people. And we're on this earth in the midst of prophecy. But has his kingdom been established in power like it's already been established in us? Has it been established on the earth yet? No, oh boy, but it will be. So many promises in Genesis 49 and verse 10, not till Shiloh comes. Shiloh comes there in Genesis 49 and verse 10 when we come back with him in Revelations 19, 11 to 16. But Ezra, back to Ezra, he comes, he comes, God raises him up and does all this work in him. All this truth. He's instilling in Ezra personally. And as he knows Christ in that measure, in his measure, in the measure that he could know him at that time as God was revealing himself to him personally, then he could come back and God could use him to establish a temporary place for a remnant. See, the temporary place for the remnant during Jesus' day was he himself. He himself. He had a few disciples. And he had a few. He had a few. If you look at the synoptics, there were times where he fed 4,000 and 5,000 at a time, different times. And many were eight. Many ate. But very few followed him. Very few really went after him. You see, there had to be, there was a pause here for the kingdom. There was a pause for that kingdom to be established, of course, in the future. And Jesus came, he came to, to establish that, and they rejected him in John 1.11. From that point on, it's nothing but the church. From Acts, the second chapter, on until we go in the rapture. 
And this is how we are to understand and rightly divide the scriptures in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 and to study them in their proper place so that we can function in our proper place. There was a time of humility. God had to humble Ezra. God had to humble Ezra so that God could instill truth in him and then he could lead others to, to know God and to worship him so that they in themselves could. And that was those 43,000 approximately that came back with him to establish it. Didn't last, but God did that work. What Christ has done will last. But you see, there was humility. Ezra had to be humbled. All those had to be humbled. How? Through 70 years of bondage. 70 years of bondage. Just think of the years that we have spent prior to receiving Christ and prior even to receiving the truth and having power, not just declarative knowledge, but power. The years of bondage that we spent. They had to humble us. And that's what happened with those, that remnant with, with Ezra and the following remnant with, with Nehemiah. They had to be humbled. And now we see our Lord in the types brought out so beautifully. Before he can establish, and as far as God's mind, his eternal mind, it's already been done, but it, he, he will come back and establish his kingdom. But what, what, when Jesus came, how did he come? How did he come? Well, the word, the very son of God, put on humanity. Not a sin nature, but a human nature. And he had to humble himself. And we can read these. And this is where we'll read these truths here and how it is bringing out this beautiful type and the incredible truth that's ours in this particular portion. But here we see this in Philippians, the second chapter. In verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Listen, who being very God himself in the full form of God, who he was and is, he did not think that his, the deity and his place to be grasped was something to be held on to, to our utter destruction. No. But he made himself. What does that mean? That's Acts 2 and verse 23. It was the determinate counsel and foreknowledge that God, his son, God would give his son and, and he would put on humanity and be crucified and be crucified so that we could know him. The only way that we could know him, the only way we can know him is through the cross. The only way that there's grace teaching is a cross. There's no grace teaching without a cross, without self-sacrificial love. And there's no cross without grace teaching. But made himself in total agreement of no reputation and took upon him the form of a slave and was made in the likeness. You see likeness? Really, it says the habit there, by the way. He felt pain. 
felt tears, he felt hunger, he felt thirst. He felt rejection and hatred more than any other human being has ever. Forever and all time, no one ever could ever measure up to everything that he ever went through to propitiate his father so his father could give the son to us as our substitute. Thereby we would be reconciled to him in the most incredible way. And he made himself, it was in, made in the form of a servant, made in the habit of men. And being found, fashioned as a man, he humbled himself. There had to be, a, there was a place of humility. So when Christ came, fulfilling the types in Ezra and Nehemiah, when he came, he had to suffer in humiliation. Proverbs 15.33 and Proverbs 18.12, before honor, before revealed glory manifested is humility. And this is our precious Savior fulfilling these types. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of things in heaven, and yes, oh absolutely, things on earth, and even things under the earth. Us as a heavenly people bow in honor of his unbelievable suffering and humility. And things on the earth, as we rule and reign with him, with the Jews, over the Jews as they rule and reign over all the nations. And things under the earth, even those in hell, and those ultimate in the lake of fire, in the name of Christ's name, every knee will bow. Like it or not, they'll bow because of the power and authority of the accomplishment of God's will through the word that his son is. And we can see these things very clearly in the scriptures. So Jesus had to be, had to assume the place of humility the place that Adam gave up, the place that all of us and Adam as our federal head gave up. All, the, all we were were like those. All we were were like those in years of captivity. The Jews, as they rejected him, to this moment, to this moment, as we can see what is even going on in Israel right now, Another power, other than Christ, that they rejected has come in and ruled over them. You see, how many countries, even coming against them, how many have ruled and reigned over them? Because the king came. He came to rule and reign. And of course they rejected him. Because he didn't come with an outward show. With, with glory being manifested, although he was filled up with it inwardly. Filled up with it. And we are filled up in him. In Colossians 2.9, he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily, meaning he was filled up with all of who God is. And you and I in 2.10 are completed in him, meaning we are filled up in him. But we look back and glean from these things. We look back and we can remember where God has taken us from to where we are right now and where he's leading us to. Yes, 
We need to be humbled in James 4, 6 through 10. So that God can grace us out. We God wouldn't even could wouldn't wouldn't even humble us had his son not have been so humbled. That, that brings out Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. No question about that. That's a settled question. And if we want to know, it's not so much what humility is, it is who it is and who it was. But in, during that time, the kingdom teaching God in Jesus Christ, he had to, he had to assume the place of, of us, uh, Adam and all others, in a place of unbelievable humility and suffering. And right now, that's part of us, part of our call. In Philippians 1, 28 and 29, we're not only called to believe on him, to worship him, to thank him, to honor him, as he's glorified in us and we're blessed. But we're also to take up his sufferings during this time. Because where is our precious Savior right now? He is so glorified. You see that in John the 17th chapter. You see it happened even before he went to the cross. But he was facing it in John 17 and verse 4. To bring out the reality of all this truth that we, I believe God wants us to get into in detail. He was glorified already in John 13, 31 and 32 in this place of humility. And is our place any different? Should our place be any different? No, we are on our way to a glorious future that no human imagination can even fathom. It has to do with the love of God. In Philippians, in in Ephesians 3 and verse 19, there's ways of past finding out. In Romans 11, 33 and 34, right down to verse 36. Because it has to do with Christ and what he's done and what he's done. So we see these truths here in an incredible way. They're being brought out. We already have these now. Do you see? That's how we're to read the scriptures. We're to look back and to glean from them and learn from them, all of them, about the beautiful truth, the heavenly truth that he gave to the Apostle Paul. And in giving them to him, he gave them to every single one of us. And that is our position. But while we learn about our position, while we grow in grace and knowledge, in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, we are on this earth. How do we interpret the scriptures? What is our identity? Understanding our identity and our true image. What we already have what we already have, what we've already been brought out of. What we already have been brought out of. We see this in such an amazing way. And Jesus was so humbled. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the most, the most, the worst kind of suffering and death that could be imagined. Because it wasn't only the physical pain. It was the pain of him being separated from his father. Taking our place in that separation that should should have been ours. And that's fulfilling Psalm 22 and verse 1. And Matthew 27 and verse 46. That's why we will never be forsaken. 
He didn't forsake that remnant. The potential was all of this, but only a remnant came back. And it's teaching. These books are teaching us. The synoptics. To understand those fully. It's the kingdom teaching. Yes. And that's what Jesus was saying. Yes. The kingdom is not going to be without what show right now. It's going to be a time of humiliation and suffering. The kingdom of God was within. It was within him. And that was among them. But few. Many were called. In 20 and verse 16 and 22 and verse 14 of Matthew. But few chose him. Only a remnant. Only a remnant. A humbled remnant. A humbled remnant. On their way to glory. To glory. Well, what do we have? Why are these pauses here? What is it teaching us? Now, this is what it's teaching us. Because it's, it leaves room. These truths had to leave room for Christ's humiliation. That's the synoptics. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And even incredible truth in the Gospel of John. But it was to leave room for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I'm telling you, this is what it was. The prophets looked forward to the Lord's coming in glory. But when he came this time, did he come in glory? Not that it wasn't within him, but was it on the earth ruling? No. But will it be? Oh, absolutely. 2 Samuel chapter 7, 12, 13, 14, and 15. Make it very clear. It will be. Revelations 20, 3 and verse 4. Make it very, very clear. It will be. You see, we already have him as Christians. We're not products of the earth. We're products of eternity. We have eternal life. Christ is that life in 1 John 5 and verse 11. But those pauses were to make room for the Lord's coming in humiliation. So it was necessary, as God was teaching Ezra, and as he's teaching us this morning, that a remnant should go to Jerusalem. And the Lord should meet them in as much humiliation on his part. Oh, how God has met us in the humiliation of his son so that we could receive him, see him glorified, see him who he truly is. No, in Isaiah 53 and verse 2, there was no beauty, outward manifested beauty again that we should desire him. Again, this is Isaiah 53 and verse 2. This is Luke 17, 20 and 21. But for us, there's no outward beauty. But oh, we're like them. He put on that humanity. He tabernacled himself in humanity. And we have the opportunity from our position in Christ and experientially growing it to see the glory, how he's filled up with all of who God is and how now we are filled up with all of who God is. And that's the difference between a heavenly people and an earthly people. Well, that little remnant that came back with Ezra, 
It was just a little, very humbled remnant. Just like the Lord came himself in the deepest humiliation. And this is what is so beautiful for us to learn and glean by right now. That God himself, through Jesus Christ, for us as his heavenly people, has already fully entered into all our circumstances. All of them. Not some of them. And that's why we can trust him and experience his love. He fully entered into all our circumstances. You and I this morning, this day, whatever it is, he's already entered into fully meeting all of them in, his, in the perfection of his order that he wants to show you and I today. That let come, let, let all these things come to be the worst that can go on. And this is his humiliation. This is his beautiful humiliation. That he was going below. He was going down. This is Ephesians 4, 8 and 9. He came down and entered into the darkness, the despair, the rejection, the violence of our, of our lives and our circumstances and situations. And he's speaking to us this morning and he wants to speak to us very clearly this morning. And he's going to show you. And when he came in his humiliation, we were, we were in him in terms of what he would do and what we would receive, obviously. Let things come to be the worst that they can be. But the fact is, is that he was going down into the deepest, listen, the depth of all of our shame. Listen, he went down below it on the cross. He went down below the most complete ruin in every single point in detail of all of our circumstances. Listen, he did that already. Don't doubt him. Don't doubt this kind of love, this glory. Don't doubt him. Don't let the enemy cause you and I to doubt him, his love for us, his care for us this morning. We are in a place of suffering. That's the answer to our suffering. Because we're on our way to glory. No. No, he came down in all our circumstances. That's what Jesus was doing in all the synoptics when he walked the face of the earth. He was coming down in all our circumstances and situations and met us there in humility, and his humility and suffering for you and I. But is that all he did? Is that all the types teach us? No. He went even further. Again, this is Philippians 2, 5 to 11. He was going down under sin, all of sin itself. This is propitiation. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Not the sins, personal sins. That doesn't happen until Leviticus 1 and verse 4 in the types. That doesn't happen again until understanding the lots in Leviticus the 16th chapter. He dealt with the sin question in propitiation to the Father. The whole sin of the whole world was a violence and a hatred against him as it started in heaven under Lucifer who became Satan 
in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15 and down through, and Isaiah 14, 9 through 17. No, under sin itself, and listen, and judgment itself. He did this. This is potential for all. It is potential for all. Ezekiel 18, verse 23, and 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, is not willing that any should perish, but their will has to meet his. To have their old man crucified in Romans 6, 1 through 6, and to have their personal sins dealt with. But no, he came down under sin and judgment in self. Listen, in order, in God's order, and he is God's order. Our order right now is to be humbled and to learn through humbling, suffering, discipline, what is ours in Christ. But no, he did all of that in order that he might deliver and make you and I a truly supernatural divine group of people, a remnant. You know, the church today is just a remnant when you consider all of humanity on this earth right now. It is a small remnant. And the world doesn't know us any more than it knew the Savior, ever. And if it hated him in John 15, 18, it's going to hate us. But greater is he that's in us while we're in this world. Greater is he that's in us than he that functions in this world. In 1 John 4, 4, that one that deceives the whole world. Revelation 12, 9. That one that deceives that remnant that you and I are, accuses Christ in us, and us in Christ in Revelations 12 and verse 10. And all of this was done in the fulfillment of the very grace and truth of God that Jesus Christ is. And all of this could only be accomplished in Jesus Christ's humiliation. Can you imagine? God the Son. In God, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, humbled. It's a privilege for us to have that. It is an absolute privilege. Humility, God humbling us, those that are in Christ, is a privilege, the height of privilege, to be like him on this earth. As we're on our way to glory, we're passing through suffering. Oh, yeah. We're passing through. The only way we can deal with it is having him. The only way. And he will be with us. He will give us the strength of his grace to deal with the pain, the suffering, the hatred, the violence. He'll do that. And we can come to him in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Because we have this great high priest in Hebrews 4, 14. Not like Aaron and those. They didn't pass into the heaven finishing the work. They were only a type, Aaron and Moses. But we have a high priest who passed into the heavens in Ephesians 4. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. And now, it's not like you and I can't be touched with the feeling of all our infirmities, our sufferings, and our humiliations. No. We have a high priest 
felt like he can't be touched by that feeling of our infirmities, but was in every point, in all our circumstances, in his, in all ours. He's that high priest that we have so that we can run to him. The world has no place to run until they have Christ. We have that place based upon Christ. There's where we run to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only that could be accomplished through Jesus Christ's humility. It can only be accomplished because of that. You see? So everything now is being brought to the place in prophecy where this time, when Christ comes back in the second advent, when we come back with him in Revelations 19, 11 to 16, he comes back in glory. And we come back with him. But you know, we have that glory now. Unbelievable. We have the treasure that Christ is right now in us. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, we have it. We have his glory in us. Christ in us. He's the source of our glory. He's the source of our blessing. He's the source of God loving us. And this all being brought out by God, the Holy Spirit, as they all participated, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in our salvation and everything that was accomplished already, you see. We will get into these in, in a depth. And all of this is going to do is bring out the beauty that you and I already have. This, again, is what Paul was saying. And we're going to close with this. But this is just an introduction to the beauty of all these particular scriptures that God has fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You see, these were only a type. And Christ is the great antitype, the great fulfillment of all those types. He's the great fulfillment. And that greatness, who Christ is, resides in us right now. And that greatness that he is in us, has it not met every single thing about us already? Has it not? And this is what Paul had to learn and what he's learning, what he learned and what you and I learn. And we'll read this as we close this morning. And this is teaching for us self-denial on the behalf of others. That's our, that's our privilege now that Christ is in us and to finish the work. We can live a life of self-denial. It's Acts 20, 24. Paul did not count his own life dear unto himself. His old life. His old way of thinking. He didn't count that anymore. In Philippians 3, 8, he counted it all down. Now we who are strong, did you know that? We are already strong in him, by the way. Positionally, now he's working it into our experience. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not please our self-life. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his own good, for God's good, so that God through us could edify them. For even Christ did not please himself. Oh boy, can you think of it? He never pleased himself, ever. Never pleased himself. But as it is written in Psalm 69, verse 9, the reproaches of those that reproach you fell on me, what we were guilty of and should have had. For whatever was written in earlier times, Ezra, 
Nehemiah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's the Pentateuch, and then all the way through up to Ezra and Nehemiah, and way all the way through the scriptures and on into them. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have the hope that's ours, and that hope is Christ in us. And we're on our way to being glorified in Colossians 1 and verse 27. All that those sufferings, righteous sufferings, bring out is bring out the reality of Romans 8 and verse 18. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, which is like an hour, if, if we could even say that, compared to eternity, works for us a far more exceeding, eternal, weighty glory that's going to be revealed in us, on us, and all around us. This brings out the reality of John 17 and verse 22. To understand John 17 and verse 22 is what the Holy Spirit through Paul was teaching us in Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope, the guarantee of glory. You're guaranteed as you suffer in humiliation and discipline and growth now, we're on our way to an eternity where there's going to be no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. For the former things will be passed away. Revelation 21 and verse 4. He wipes away every tear, cleanses our memory so that we don't experience anything but him. And that's why love, his love for us and our growth will never be interrupted again when we're with him face to face in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. They are written for our encouragement that we might have hope, that we understand the truth. Now, may the, may the God who gives perseverance and encourage, encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. There's so much in here that is so beautiful, that is so much of ours. Again, we're going to see how Christ fulfilled what was temporarily through Ezra and Nehemiah being revealed to establish a place, a sanctuary, a place of rest so that we could know God. That's what, he, that's what Ezra was doing. To establish the sanctuary, sanctuary and bring in the holy remembrance of who God is and to know him through grace. But suffering had to prepare that. If you're wondering why you do, this is why, so we can experience the reality of who we are. And Nehemiah then came to build up those walls around Jerusalem. And God is bringing the walls of doctrine all around us. It's the teachings of Christ. And the enemy comes in so that we stop building. He stopped many from being built up in Christ as the foundation in Matthew 16 and verse 18. But God's building these walls. And like he said, he would build up those walls in Isaiah 60 and verse 18. Your walls that are going to be built up, this is the truth about who we are in Christ. Those walls will be walls of salvation, deliverances, and then gates of praise to establish a people that worship him because that's what God seeks. Still doing it right now. In John 4 and verse 23, God searches for worshipers, 
But God must be worshipped and can only be in spirit and in truth. And this is what Christ has accomplished. This is the life that's ours. And he wants to build up those walls of truth around us. And there's where the enemy comes in and the conflict begins in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. So Father, we thank you for this introductory truth into Ezra and Nehemiah, these truths that Christ has already fulfilled. We thank you, God, that we're just a little remnant right now, but we're on our way, passing through this world system and 1 Peter 2, 11, strangers and pilgrims. They didn't know, they did, the world didn't know Jesus in John 14, 19, and it won't know us. Apart from Christ revealing who he is in us and giving them that same opportunity in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. Thank you, Father, for your precious word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.